are listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Thursday, February the 21st in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with us on this Thursday is our good friend, Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, No snow around here. How about up in Springfield? It's nice and sunny. Boy, you really do a good job in picking out topics that I think people are really interested in. I know last week's was quite interesting. You even got a phone call about it. And this one you talked about was pluralism. A pluralism simply indicates that all religions are equal and therefore, none of them are perfect. None of them have the whole message, and that would include Christianity. And I dare say that after parents send their children to maybe college, they come back with a pluralistic attitude. And so you found a great article by a man named Tim Keller about how do we counter the pluralistic attitude within the country at this time. Have have you found that uh, to be uh, a true condition of some people? Right. Yeah, the article I sent to you, too, was first published uh, in 2002, not long after 9-11 had happened. So you get a first glimpse of somebody looking at how do we answer this pluralism. Since then, there's been dozens of articles written out there, but I, I consider it uh, a cloud or a fog as you read those articles. This one tries to answer how do we as Christians speak speak to the issue. Yes, and that, that's where I appreciate the article and yet still have a little bit of a problem about the article. Obviously, he's not Lutheran who wrote this. So he doesn't have the understanding that we have as Lutherans concerning the uniqueness of Christianity. And that 9-11 is really important because after that, there were a lot of people who just felt this was a violent injustice and they were down, they were depressed. And he said, you tell them that Christianity is the only faith that tells you that God lost a child in an act of violent injustice. Therefore, Christianity is the only religion that tells you that God suffered as you have suffered. What do you think of that? I found that was a classic uh, kind of veiled way of talking about the gospel. Well, I think that's what he's trying to do, but I'm not so sure that Christianity is the only faith that God suffers with the people. I think there's others where there's suffering and God tries or their God tries to get them out of that suffering by doing things or thinking things and this sort of thing. That's very Buddha of you. Yes, Buddhists would be a good example of that. What what he's trying to get away from is coming out and saying that Christianity is superior to every other religion because when you're steeped in religious pluralism, 
No religion is superior to another. And he uses the example of people examining an elephant. Do you want to explain that? Well, a bunch of blind men were out to touch an element. One touches the leg and says it's long and, and thick, and another touches the trunk says, no, it's long and thin, you know. So it depends on where you are touching or going in with your your thinking and, and then coming out that way. Yes. And after using that, he makes the point that the only way this parable makes any sense is if you've seen a whole elephant. Therefore, the minute you say all religions are only part of the truth, you're claiming the very knowledge you say no one else has. And you're demonstrating the same spiritual arrogance that you accuse Christians of. I thought that was a pretty good point. I thought so, too. Uh, um, because as he started out, he was, he was, they were presenting to a class, and uh, it was an Islamic cleric and him talking, being exclusive. And they looked at him and said, well, it's just your way of getting to heaven. Which, by the way, this pure, pure pluralism, I think it's nothing more than is, we used to call it universalism, didn't we? Yeah, explain that. Well, universalism says that there is a God out there, and there's multiple ways of getting to heaven. Exactly. Christianity being just one of them. And this is where I kind of criticize the article, because he was talking about at the college discussion, a young man said there's no difference between Christianity and Islam because he said, you both say we should just try to obey God and live a good life. And he does not analyze that as being quite wrong. Right. We've talked about it many times, I think, uh, over the years on, on Law and Gospel that it's the difference between doing religion and done religion. Yes. Christianity is the only done religion. Everything else is a do religion. In other words, you have to contribute to your salvation. Uh, you have to cooperate with your salvation. And unfortunately, if you listen to a lot of Christian sermons... That's the implication that they're giving these days. We, we talked about self-help sermons, that if you're a Christian, you can do anything you want if you have enough faith. And unfortunately, they're missing the whole point of Christianity, which is a law and gospel point. Every other religion believes that by your obedience, you get right with God. In contrast to Christianity that teaches only by the obedience of Jesus does a person get right with God. Right. And I think that's a big difference with these pluralistic type religions that are out there. They're always talking about how you seek God, how you find God, how you work towards God, how you appease God versus God's already been appeased. Yeah, that that was a big thing I was taught at the seminary first year, that every other religion 
recognizes that God does not like our sin, and therefore the goal of a religion is to how to figure out how to, now you use the word appease, we were taught how to placate an angry God. And that's by our works. And if you believe that about Christianity, then I can understand how you don't see any difference between Christianity and every other religion. Right. And one of the questions I wrote down is, how many works do we have to do be enough to placate God or to appease him? And in fact, unfortunately, in some uh, Christian uh, religions like uh, Roman Catholicism, they do believe that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross did pay for all your sins. But then you've got these temporal consequences that you have to balance out when you sin. And therefore, they invented a place called purgatory Purgatory. that people go to in order to balance that out. And once more, they fall into the trap of thinking that proper religion is doing good works and making up for those uh, contemporary um, problems that you have when you sin. Remember the story of uh, Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal? Right. And, of course, uh, the outcome being is God answered uh, Elijah's prayer by sending a fire to consume the sacrifice. Right. And that avails. Well, uh, Elijah, they start to hunt him down to uh, kill him. And to make a long story short, God tells him, Elijah, you think you're the only one that's in Israel that hasn't bowed to Baal? There were 7,000 others that did. You know, there's many, many Christians out there that, that are witnessing the, the, the uh, true God. And I think uh, be finding that way to, to help them exp- uh, talk to pluralists, I think, is a goal of one of our sermons. Yes. So he looks to the idea that God suffers with us as keeping people in the church. What would we do to counter this pluralism? What's the unique thing about Christianity? It's already been done and won for us. Yes. This done and won would be a good way uh, putting something over the door of a church. It's done and won. Now, we can understand why there are a lot of people who are pluralistic. I um, picked up a book recently on the parables of Jesus, it was called. And as I scanned through the book, every one of their parables was totally misunderstood. Mm. Like the Good Samaritan, the main point of the Good Samaritan, they said, is that we need to love our neighbor as a way of getting to heaven. I mean, that was actually in the book. They didn't listen to the coffee hour this morning, did they? (laughs) Okay, what part was that? Um, The second second part of the program. Yeah, I was walking in. I didn't hear it. What was on about it? About loving our neighbor, that person that... Oh, in the Lutheran witness, yes. Yeah, person we come into contact with. Yes, but the point of the Good Samaritan has nothing to do with loving our neighbor. 
The point mm. I always make is Jesus is answering the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life that the lawyer asked him? And he gives him an example of what he would have to do, which is impossible for a human being to do. We cannot love our neighbor as we should. And therefore, Jesus doesn't give any gospel in that entire parable because the man is not ready for it. He hasn't been hit by the law yet. He hasn't realized it's the same question Jesus asked in Mark 10 to the rich man who says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, follow the commandments. And he says, well, I've done all these from my youth. And the fact of the matter is, well, he hasn't. Mm. The law needs to be preached first. And to take these parables and give them some kind of meaning that they don't have, I was really surprised. Every one of the parables I scanned, I found that in there, that it was more about being loving, being neighborly, this sort of thing, in order that we might be able to gain heaven. Mm. No wonder people think there's no difference between Christianity and every other religion. They're in the fog, too. Uh, that's what I look at pluralism when they try to discuss it and, and, and the way out is everybody's in a fog and you just grab onto one and it'll lead you to a clear day and it never will if, if if you're grabbing on and trying to find your way instead of uh letting the word uh, help you like the word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path that uh we present the gospel the saving gospel to to whoever we're talking to it's not easy to give a proper long gospel sermon because what you need to do, you need to look at the text, see what the long gospel is, but then you need to know your people as to what their greatest need is. Now, this particular individual believes that the greatest need people are saying they have is they need a God who suffers with them, who will always be there when they need him. Well, that isn't the gospel. And and therefore, if that becomes your goal, well, a lot of people will appreciate what Christianity says, but they still won't believe the gospel. The gospel is quite different. It's a different question that people are asking than, do I have a God who will never leave me? And it's the same question that Martin Luther talked about is how do I attain that righteousness that gets me right with God? Mm. You know, when I look at it, the, the other aspect of it is they've left behind saving faith and switched it over to historic faith, haven't they? Yes, and explain the difference between saving faith and historic faith. Well, historic faith, in its basic form, believes that Jesus did live, did die, did rise again. But a saving faith trusts and believes in the promises of the gospel, that Jesus died and rose for me, and that by believing in him, Christ has given to us that robe of righteousness, especially through our holy baptism. Yes, that is a real distinction that needs to come out in each sermon, and it comes out differently uh, depending upon the text. Uh, for example, last night I preached to two congregations, and it was 
uh, the Beatitudes in Luke that talked about, you know, beware if you are rich because it's very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus says. And so I was saying, do you all agree that it's more difficult for rich people to get into heaven than for others? And, of course, having read those passages, it sounded like that was. was, yeah. But my point was, Scripture interprets Scripture. Those Beatitudes were not part of the Sermon on the Mount. And when you go to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus expands on the Beatitudes. Like, blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God, says Luke. But Jesus, in Matthew he expands it, blessed are the poor in spirit. So we're not talking about impoverishment or anything to do with wealth, but a lot of people think that they're rich enough to pay God off, to counter and balance out their sins. And that's where the problem is, where we can't do that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you read in Matthew, the call of Matthew, as you talk about Matthew was a tax collector and probably was doing fairly well. And the Pharisees grumbled because he ate with with the sinners and the tax collectors, and it really came down to the the faith in the in the gospel, didn't it? Did it not? Yes. And I think one way to show the superiority of Christianity is by using analogies people are already familiar with. For example, in a family, you'd be talking to parents and say. Of course, you only love your children when they are obedient to you, right? <laughs> right. And see, they'll laugh at that. And yet that's what they believe about God. He only loves us when we are obedient. He only will save us when we are obedient. That's what every religion teaches except for Christianity, that his love toward us never wavers even when we are disobedient we confess that, that we sin by thought, word, and deed, and we really deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Yeah, as the scriptures that say, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the point that's distinct about Christianity. And that distinctiveness, just by saying it, doesn't convince anyone. The Holy right. Spirit needs to have those words said, and therefore create faith in individuals so that they see the unique character of the Christian faith and that it is superior because it's the only one that has a proper understanding of God as the Holy Trinity and Jesus Christ as our eternal Savior. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. It's always that necessity that in our witness that we, we present the gospel. And that gospel needs to be found in each text because the difference between the various passages we have in the three-year reading is there's a different type of law that we're being accused of. And yet when we see that, we then are able to really understand the importance of the gospel that nobody doesn't sin and fall short of the glory of God. So there's got to be a rescue in there, and that rescue does not occur by our being loving to the neighbor. <laughs> and the rescue doesn't occur by our trying to work our way to heaven. 
Exactly. That's the unique thing. And I was really surprised not once did he mention that in his entire article. And you'll find as you read many articles of Christian leaders as they address pluralism, it's, it's the same. No. This was, this was pretty much uh, standard out there. Yes, I, I think he is making good points that we need to address pluralism, but the idea that the message of Christianity that will reverse people's thinking is that God never leaves us and he suffers with us, that is a true statement, but there are other religions that teach that about their God also. Right, well, or I think, as you said, there's nothing we can do, say, in order to be saved by God. He, that's what we did. He did it all for us. Yes, and, and people just can't understand that because that seems so unfair. How can somebody who's in prison, say, for murder, how can they be forgiven and go to heaven simply by believing the promises of the gospel? Well, that's what Jesus says, and that's what God says, therefore, and therefore that's what Christianity says. It's totally a different religion than every other religion in the world. Right, and I think a good study would be the Acts of the Apostles, which talks about the gospel going out into these various cities, and as they confronted pluralistic religions that were in these various cities. Yes, do you remember what my favorite chapter in the whole Bible is on law and gospel? It's Galatians 3. 2, 3? Yes. The adoption? If you read Galatians 3, there is a clear statement by the Apostle Paul concerning the distinct, unique characteristic of Christianity in comparison to every other religion. Hmm. And that is? That is? The verse. Oh, I mean the whole chapter. Oh, the whole chapter. You know, what's interesting, too, and it comes from Paul, who thought that he was working his way to heaven by persecuting Christians. Yes, and that God was pleased with that kind of a work. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was well-known. He had a great reputation among the unbelieving Pharisees, and he persecuted the Christians because he thought that was the work of God, when in reality the reverse was the work of God in bringing more people to Christianity. So that needs to be said because there's a lot of parents who are concerned about their children becoming pluralistic, and that's the unique character. All you ask is this. Show me another religion where God does everything in saving you and simply creates faith in your heart in regard to the promises of the gospel. They, they won't find another religion like that. Well said. I, I think I could add to, add to that. Well, you can add to it because you've been a pastor for a long time and you've seen it working. <laughs> You know, in confirmation particularly, I always enjoyed teaching that because a lot of these people may have been either not Christian or pluralistic, and when they start hearing these unique characteristics of Christianity, they say, boy, that is different than what I was taught. Or, yeah, in uh, adult confirmation, 
you know, uh, with Roman Catholics, you you could just see a burden lift off the shoulders as you describe the second article of, of uh, the Apostles' Creed of Christ's death and resurrection. Yes. And what he's done for us, and there's no more payment for sin that we have to make. Jesus did it for us. Yeah, he did it all. And that's why he's considered a savior, not an example, in order to follow to become saved. We we do follow Jesus' example, but that's the life of sanctification, which has nothing at all to do with becoming saved, which is justification. And that occurs, as you've already quoted Romans 10, by hearing the word of God, you then believe the promises of the gospel. Exactly. Well, once more, you found a great article preaching among, uh, amid pluralism, and uh, we'll look forward to see what we come up next week. And thanks very much, Pastor Reimnitz. Great to be with you. Okay, and that's Pastor Reimnitz. Tomorrow is Open Mic Friday. Maybe we just said something that's confusing to you. Well, you can phone us at 1-800-730-2727 during Open Mic Friday tomorrow. I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.